LastPass has, well, not suffered a new data breach, but we have major, major updates to the LastPass data breach. Facebook has reached a settlement over the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal from a couple years ago. Radio City Music Hall has used facial recognition in a questionable way and much, much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 115, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past two weeks. Happy holidays to those of you who celebrate. We are back. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm Henry from Techler. As a reminder to all of you, if you get value out of surveillance support and you want to keep us going, there are two ways to support us. Patreon is the most direct way. It's a recurring fiat support method, and in return, you get some perks, which we are actually in the process of retweaking, so stand by for those. But right now, you get the chance to ask a question, show notes, and you don't have to listen to this pitch which will still be there after we rework everything. So it's still an investment. And then the other way to support us is Monero, which is a a completely anonymous or as anonymous as you can be on the internet cryptocurrency. We don't see anything about you except the contribution amount. And we are very grateful for those. So thank you for those of you who have used Monero to support us. And last but not least, we want to thank you guys for working with us over the holidays. I know it was kind of last minute that we decided we weren't going to do anything for Christmas. Um, So we'll try to get better about keeping you guys in the loop, but you can always follow us on Mastodon because we did post uh, an announcement there. There's also Twitter, but I don't think any of us check it anymore these days, to be totally honest with you. But I do think it mirrors from Mastodon to Twitter. So yeah, follow us on one of those and you'll be kept up to date on if there is or is not a surveillance report that week. It posted posted on Twitter. So if you're still using Twitter, (laughs) it's over there on your end too. Okay, with that, we're going to start off with our highlight story, which if you follow privacy and security news, you have definitely heard a lot about, but we would be remiss if we didn't touch on it ourselves, and that is the update to the LastPass breach. So this is a follow-up to a previous story that happened back in August. LastPass disclosed that they had a data breach, but said that no customer data was compromised. Don't worry about it. Well, two days before the Christmas break, uh, LastPass announced that actually encrypted vaults were taken. There are layers to this story because there are a lot of things that went wrong. So first, um, account metadata was leaked. And so these are things like if it was an enterprise user, the company name, the end user name. um, I think they mean like the actual username for the end user. Uh, But they might mean your real name because the billing address, email addresses, phone numbers, and IP addresses from which customers access their vaults. Now, my my personal, like, what the hell, uh, not all of the vault items were encrypted. Like, for example, the website URLs are not encrypted, which to me is very sensitive data. And I don't understand why they wouldn't have encrypted that crap in the first place. That's that's really just... Yeah. Anyways, um, usernames, passwords, and notes were allegedly encrypted. And third... LastPass had a several technical problems. So a lot of the people who are cybersecurity experts and read code and understand this stuff much better than I do, they have been like really looking at all this data and picking it apart. And apparently there's these things called iterations, which is basically a, a way that they derive the encryption for your vault. And they haven't been using enough iterations, at least not for all users. And that's a huge defense against things like rainbow tables. Yeah, in this particular blog post, there's also allegations that people who had used strong passwords, like strong master passwords, still had multiple accounts compromised at the same time, which means it was probably not a coincidence. But for the record, those claims are unsubstantiated. Regarding the master password iteration issue, we're going to simplify this. LastPass has actually made changes over time to make that better, but people who had... So if you were there like 10 years ago, let's say, and you had like that ancient um, insecure master password encryption, we're really simplifying this. They never actually upgraded you to the future better ones. They kept people on those old ones, (laughs) which is like crazy. Yeah. And for the record, like Henry said, we're seriously oversimplifying this. So please don't get mad at us. And then our, our fourth thing about this is that LastPass is severely downplaying this entire incident. 
you know, they're they're still trying to assure users like it's not a big deal. Like I said earlier, it's kind of shady. They they seem to care more about PR and looking good than actually protecting their customers and saying like, hey. I know we screwed up, but you need to worry. In the past, other password managers who have had uh, incidents usually take them a lot more seriously than LastPass, even if there's smaller incidents that were less serious. So yeah, we've we've been notoriously critical of LastPass around here for quite a while, but this is just your uh, reminder to ditch LastPass if you haven't already, because they're clearly not using good security practices. They're not taking your security seriously, and they at least seem to be much more interested in damage control than actually alerting their users to how bad it is. Yeah, and if you don't like our opinions or thoughts on things, pretty much every expert in the cybersecurity infosec realm has not said very positive things about LastPass during this. So I'm just saying, like, I I don't think it's a good move personally to go with LastPass, not just based on my opinion on the matter, but really anyone who knows what they're talking about, much more than I do in this realm. I trust them, and they are not fans of this. Yeah, I was going to say, we always encourage you guys not to only listen to us. Like, go out, listen to other people, get other opinions and stuff. And yeah, if you look up what other, like, actual cryptographers and experts are saying about LastPass right now, it's not good. So, if anything, we're probably going easy on them. (laughs) First data breach from Malaysia. Fadzil tells cybersecurity to investigate latest data leak claim, which involves 13 million accounts from Astro EC Maybank. Do you know what that is? Oh, the Election Commission. EC is the Election Commission, and then Maybank is just a big bank. These breaches were all disclosed on December 25th, and they claim to have 3.5 million Astro subscribers um, and 1.9 million Maybank customers and 7.2 million voters, which is a very interesting collection of data from different places. They're now ordering an investigation. Maybank is obviously denying that they even had a breach, like companies do. In their case, data allegedly includes login IDs, full names, date of births, addresses, and ID card numbers. Our next story comes from BetMGM, which is a sports betting firm that has disclosed a data breach. The number of affected customers was not disclosed, but is, uh, it is believed to be 1.5 million customers based on a for sale ad in a breach forum. BetMGM says that what was stolen varies for each customer, but could potentially include names, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, dates of birth, hash social security numbers, account identifiers, and transaction info. The, beach, the breach was discovered in November, but is believed to have taken place in May. The IRS has accidentally released 112,000 taxpayers' private data. Again. So this is a Form 990-T, which is Exempt Organization Business Income Tax Returns, which was published earlier in September by accident. We covered that back then. Um, But this was almost the exact same data as before. So a contractor uploaded the older database by accident instead of the new one that filtered out the forms that should have been kept private. A security researcher found the exposed data and alerted the IRS, who ordered the contractor to take it down immediately. The IRS is reconsidering their relationship with the contractor, which is Accenture. All right, a ransomware attack at a Louisiana hospital has impacted 270,000 patients. This only affected one location, thankfully, which was the Lake Charles Memorial Health System. Took place on October 21st, included full names, addresses, dates of birth, medical records, patient ID numbers, health insurance info, payment info, and limited clinical info regarding care received, and in some cases, social security numbers. Yeah, if we hear anything else, we'll of course keep you updated. All right. Up to about a quarter million Medicare beneficiaries are getting new ID cards due to a data breach at a subcontractor. The subcontractor was Healthcare Management Solutions, a company who helps process eligibility and entitlement records and premium payments. 
The data potentially included names, addresses, date of births, phone numbers, social security numbers, Medicare beneficiary identifiers, banking information, including routing and account numbers, and Medicare entitlement, enrollment, and premium information. The new cards will have new ID numbers. Over 200,000 customers affected by a Unify mobile data breach. Uh, Unify is a mobile carrier in Malaysia. The, uh, this affected both individual customers and small and medium businesses. It included names, phone numbers, email addresses, payment methods, amounts paid, transaction IDs, and receipt numbers. Someone is claiming to be selling the data, and they say it includes 2.7 million records and, quote, admin access. But they did not explain what that means, if they still have access to the system or whatever. Um, they say they're selling it to a single buyer, and then once somebody buys, they'll delete it. A restaurant custom management platform, Seven Rooms, has confirmed a breach after data for its sale. So they've confirmed it suffered a data breach after a threat actor began selling stolen data on a hacking forum. Seven Rooms is used at places like MGM Resters, Wolfgang Puck. Resorts. Oh, resorts. MGM Resorts, Wolfgang Puck, Blumen Brands, Mandarin Oriental, and more. I haven't heard of any of these places, by the way, so... I mean, I've heard of MGM. They're like real, real big hotel and casino in Vegas. Well, apparently the attacker claims to have stolen a 247 gigabyte backup database, including data like clients, API keys, promo codes, payment reports, reservation lists, and more. It may also include names, email addresses, and phone numbers. Social security and payment details were not exposed, but are stored on a different server. The FBI is investing a three commas data breach. Uh, Three commas is an Estonian crypto trading service who has been accused of repeatedly brushing off warnings that they were leaking user data. Over the last, quote, several months, dozens of users have reported that they'd had uh, crypto exchanges traded off without their consent. The CEO claimed that there was no evidence of a breach and that the users must have been fished or compromised somehow, which is always a great look. The FBI has now become involved after 100,000 Binance and KuCoin API keys linked to three commas were leaked by an anonymous actor. Not not a good year for crypto. Look on the bright side. You guys can really only go up from here. That's what they think too. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're hoping. <laughs> so the group Play Ransomware claims attack on German hotel chain H Hotels. 60 hotels in 50 locations across Germany, Austria, and Switzerland with a total capacity of about 10,000 rooms. Due to the attack, emails are not accessible. Customers can't ask questions or get replies via email and must call the hotel. Play Ransomware Gang has claimed credit and claims to have stolen client documents, passports, IDs, and more, but they have not released any samples or said how much data was stolen. H Hotels also claims that they haven't seen any evidence of data exfiltration. The Royal Ransomware Gang has claimed an attack on the Entrado Telecom provider. The initial ransom was $60 million. Royal also claims to have stolen data, including internal documents, passports, and employee driver's licenses. They, however, did provide 52.8 megabyte sample of the data. And to finish this out, Comcast Xfinity accounts were hacked in widespread 2FA bypass attacks. Several Comcast users reported getting emails saying that their account information had been changed. When they tried to log in to see what was happening, they could not as the passwords had been changed. When regaining access, a lot of them found a secondary email added to the profile to get a copy of all their emails. The odd part here is all these customers claimed they had 2FA enabled. So apparently what happened is Comcast allegedly has a private OTP that can be used to bypass 2FA, like a default administrative password and attackers were using that to bypass 2FA. 2FA is great, we always recommend 2FA, but the implementation is still important, and there's still lots of different 2FA methods that have their own weaknesses, so just keep that in the back of your mind. 
Um, and it's good that these users were notified that there was a change on their account. So that is all good stuff. And hopefully more information comes out of this story. Okay, we're going to launch into companies. Ooh, this was a big story I forgot to put in the description. ByteDance finds employees obtain TikTok user data of two journalists. So earlier this year, two ByteDance employees accessed TikTok data in an effort to investigate company leaks and find connections between two journalists, one from BuzzFeed and one from the Financial Times. ByteDance claims that this access was quote-unquote improper. So basically they're like, hey, they were rogue employees. We didn't authorize that. Uh, They said that the employees in question are no longer employed by the company. And uh, an additional two employees related to this incident were fired. So there was a total of four employees were fired over this, two from America, two from China. Earlier this year, we've covered a story about how, uh, despite their claims, employees in China say that they are totally able to access anybody's data anytime they want. Were they rogue employees? I mean, either neither answer is good. Either, yes, they were rogue employees and TikTok does not have good controls on their employees' permissions, or they were not and TikTok threw them under the bus. So either way, not a good look. This is also a bad service to draw this relationship to. But in general, this is also why we're always going to recommend people move to end-to-end encrypted or zero-knowledge services. Um, Obviously, this is a bad example because it's a social media platform. But this is why we always lean people like away from something like Google without end-to-end encryption because you don't know what Google's doing internally and who actually has access to your data. Um, If something's zero knowledge or end-to-end encrypted, at least you can, at the very least, you can guarantee the raw data is not accessible to anybody. See, since you brought that up, I hate it when I see people say, like, what's the point of using encrypted email? Nobody else is using it. It's for that reason. It cuts your attack surface in half because now instead of two inboxes that are wide open that any rogue employee can access, now there's only one. It's still a benefit. Um, But yeah, for the record, they were accessing, I think they were accessing location data. They were trying to see if the journalists had been around um, people they suspected were whistleblowers, I think is what they were trying to do. Even even if it's not one side, if we're looking for a two-sided thing, they both allow you to pass or protect and encrypt your emails to people who don't use Proton and Tutanota. So even if someone else uses Gmail, all that Gmail can see is just this link that takes you to a pass or protected vault somewhere else. So there's still benefit there as well if you want to actually pass or protect your emails to external contacts. So, All right, up next, Apple has quietly rolled out new updates. Is it good or bad? That could prevent AirTag stalking. It's good this week. So um, this new update informs people when there's a nearby AirTag that's away from its owner. This update applies to the tag, so the owner has to update their tag. However, it should do so automatically, provided the owner has an iPhone 11 or newer, running 16.2 or later. Um, A counterpoint here, the firmware actually dropped last month, but the company didn't say what they did right away, maybe for this reason. So that might be why they kept this kind of hidden. Um, Either way, it's a welcome change, uh, and I'm surprised this wasn't a thing from the get-go. Okay, our next story comes from DuckDuckGo. This is a really quick one. DuckDuckGo is now blocking Google sign-in pop-ups on all sites. So as with most DuckDuckGo stuff, this requires either the DuckDuckGo browser or the extension. DuckDuckGo claims that they did a traffic analysis and found that despite Google's claims not to use sign-in with Google for ads, the data is still collected and usually by ad-related domains. So in response, DuckDuckGo has simply disabled the pop-up entirely so that users can never use it. So if you use sign-in with Google which we do not recommend. Uh, we don't recommend signing with Google, signing with Apple, any of that stuff. We recommend you just give everything a unique... Actually, I, I... I, Oh, you do recommend it? 
No. Well, I, actually, I do recommend signing with Google for a couple things, but that's a different discussion. What I wanted, mm. I, I actually don't think these are the two same things. I think there's two different prompts here. There's a sign in with Google. Like if you access Reddit for uh -huh. the first time on the top right, it's like log in with your Google. Like you're already logged in with your Google and it's like sign in with Google going forward. I don't think this is actually the, um, there's the use Google to sign in prompt which is like comes on the screen randomly on some websites. And there's the yeah. actual like, I am logging into website, login dot blah, blah, dot com. And oh, it says sign in with Google. I don't think that's what that is. I think the sign in with okay. Google is fine. That's the SSO, I believe. I think this is an actual like prompt that like gets you to try to like register your Google account to the website. Okay, I think you're sense? right. Yeah. Let thanks, me, let me... thanks for correcting that. Yeah, well, I, I might be wrong too, which is why. No, it, I, I, think I think you are right because it's 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 the like the dis, the distracting pop up is the one they got rid of. So yeah, you're right. If you're like if you're going to log in and there's like a button on the login page, I think that should still be there. But they're talking about those annoying like like you said, if you're scrolling and then it's like, hey, why don't you like sign up for an account? And then there's also like sign in with Google is there. Like it gets rid of that. Facebook, um, owned by Meta is to settle Cambridge Analytica scandal case for $725 million. This is an update to a old, really old story at this point. Um, so for those who weren't around then, which actually, you know, it's been so long, a lot of you might not remember this. Um, there, some people I mentioned Cambridge Analytica to in real life, and they don't know what it is, even though it was such a big story when it happened. So I think it has been a long time. Um, in 2017, a company called Cambridge Analytica was at the center of a huge scandal where they were accused of wrongfully accessing Facebook user data and then using that data to hyper-target individuals for political advertising. It's been asserted that um, things that happened politically in 2016 uh, and a passage of Brexit were both direct results of Cambridge Analytica's abuse of this data. That's still debated, but there was seems to be a lot of evidence that things were influenced in the political election because of this. I mean, there was, th this was a huge thing, people. Like in 2017, like Mark Zuckerberg was called into trial. There was like several trials and it was a whole thing, hours long. Um, lots of news came out about this. It was a big thing back then. I'm giving the context because I know some of you might not be in the privacy world. Even back then, there were a surprising number of people who didn't know what was going on. Like, I remember one of the stories that came out was that Facebook, if you were an Android user, Facebook had access to your actual SMS message content. Like if you had, if you had the app on your phone and I remember telling one of my friends that I'm like, Hey, did you hear about like trying to make the conversation about privacy? I'm like, do you hear about this Cambridge Analytica thing? And they're like, I've, I've heard something about it. I don't really know much. And it's like, bro, come on. Well, we have an update to that story. There's been lots of updates along the way, but this is a big <laughs> one. So since the suit was first filed four years ago, Meta has stalled and pushed back. Interestingly enough, at one point, Meta argued that users have no legitimate privacy interest in information they shared with friends on social media, even though that's not really what was happening with Cambridge Analytica. Um, but they have now settled for $725 million, and anyone who was a U.S. Facebook user can apply for a claim. The article doesn't specify the exact criteria, and I'm sure more details will come. So Privacy International does a podcast. They call it the Privacy or the Technology Pill. And three episodes ago, they had Corey Doctorow, who is an amazing author. For those of you who don't know, he writes a lot about privacy and technology, uh, fiction and nonfiction. He's awesome. But they had an interview with him. It's called Corporate Power with Corey Doctorow. He actually recommends, even if it's just a couple bucks, go ahead and cash the uh, the settlement check. Um, I'll, I'll let you guys listen to that and listen to his argument. But just for those of you who, who I'm totally with you. It's like, oh, it's three bucks a user. Who cares? But, you know, if you want a counterpoint, 
he has one and he's a pretty smart guy. So not saying you'll be convinced, but it's worth hearing. So just wanted to throw that out there. With that, we'll move into our research section. And we're going to start with a really interesting one that made headlines. Ear spy attack eavesdrops on Android phones via motion sensors. I'm going to quote a little bit of the article here. A team of researchers has developed an eavesdropping attack for Android devices that can, to various degrees, recognize the caller's gender and identity and even discern private speech, unquote. So this was the result of a collaboration between researchers from five American universities. The attack basically works by using the other sensors in the device, like the gyroscope, for example, which is the one that allows you to, like, when you turn your phone sideways, it, like, rotates the video because it, now it knows it's sideways. It allows the other sensors in the device to pick up vibrations from the ear speaker and therefore eavesdrop on conversations. The article states that this technology has been explored in the past with um, the smartphone loudspeakers, so like the kind when you have this phone on speaker mode. But in the past, it wasn't really feasible because the ear speaker uh, was too weak. It just it wasn't loud enough and therefore they couldn't use it for that purpose. However, new phones have more powerful speakers. So now this is possible. The article goes really in-depth with tables, numbers, really good breakdown of how they did this research and all that stuff. So as usual, feel free to check that out for full details. Uh, Really, the only mitigation they offer is to keep your volume on low. Like, don't blast your phone. And as an outsider, I can say that's true because I've definitely sat next to people where I can hear their whole conversation while the phone is against their ear and it really annoys me. There are other fixes, but they're really outside the user's control. Like, they can change the way that the phone is constructed uh, so that way, like where the internal components are placed could change how well the the sound transfers through the components. They also mentioned that environmental vibrations will make it harder for this attack to work, obviously. So like if you're at a concert, it's harder for the the internal components to realize what's what's good noise and what's not. Regardless of what OS you're on, it's worth noting that the researchers say that they used a third party app to do this. So Like with a lot of this stuff, it is really alarming, but as long as you're like keeping your device safe, keep control of it, be careful what apps you put on it, don't just put random crap on there, make sure you're getting it from the official source, and you should be fine. And final research, really quick, Netgear has warned users to patch a recently fixed Wi-Fi router bug. Sharing because the Nighthawk is a popular router, especially because it is compatible with DDWRT, at least a lot of the Nighthawk routers are, which for those who don't know is like an open source firmware that you can install on your router, it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, and although Netgear did not disclose any information about the component affected by the bug or its impact, it did say that this is a pre-authentication buffer overflow vulnerability. If you're unsure how to patch your device, check the article, or ideally, I'm fairly certain most routers have an automatic update setting at this point that we, at least I, would very strongly recommend you have enabled. All right, with that, we'll move into politics, and we're going to start with some kind of big news. FTC has fined Fortnite maker Epic Games $520 million over children's privacy and item shop charges. Um, So this is actually two settlements. The first one is a COPPA fine, which is, what is it, Children's Online Privacy Protection Act or whatever. It's the reason that every time you log into a website, you have to click a little box that says, I promise I'm over 13. The first one is the COPPA fine of $275 million, which is actually the largest fine ever for any FTC violation. And then the other one is $245 million for dark patterns and billing practices. Epic has agreed to pay the fines, basically saying, I love it when companies do this. They basically said that even though the law hasn't kept up with modern gaming, they quote, want Epic to be at the forefront of consumer protection, unquote. The COPPA aspect seems to have more to do, less to do with like data collection and more to do with like 
you know, the fact that they weren't really protecting kids from cyberbullying, harassment, predatory adults, things like that. So it's, you know, it could have been better, but hey, it's still a win. It's still something. So that's cool. Our next story says FBI tried to get Twitter to share account information without a warrant. This is one of those stories that covers multiple incidences. So we can't really like sum it up into like, here's the central thing. But basically it talks about multiple times that the FBI and other intelligence agencies, but mainly the FBI, tried to persuade Twitter to hand over user data outside of Twitter's established policies. Typically, that meant that you had to have some kind of core order, like a subpoena or a warrant for Twitter in order to uh, honor that request. In particular, the article notes, I think like three or four incidences. So in December of 2019, they asked Roth if he would be willing to change the policies entirely, just straight up like, hey, you know, just they have screenshots of the email. Um, in January 2020, another Twitter executive just kind of like letting him like, hey, just so you know, he informed Roth that the FBI was actually trying to go behind Twitter's back and like whisper in the ears of congressional staffers to try and like, hey, you know, Twitter's not really playing ball and we should like force them to. And then again in 20, uh, July 2020, the FBI asked for account data without a warrant. And again, they have a screenshot of the email. They had this very like just asking tone. Like literally they're like, hey, we know you have this policy and whatnot, but like it, we're, we just want like this two bits of data. Is there any chance you'd be willing to just like go ahead and make it easy on us? And then in August of 2022, Twitter noted that the FBI was trying to convince Twitter to adopt an emergency disclosure request policy, which is where they say like, hey, somebody's life is in stake. We need this data now, but we don't have a warrant. And uh, given number one, the fact that they have now asked four times for user data without warrants. And number two, the way that we saw um, Amazon just like completely abuse the system. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say there's a 100% chance they would have completely abused this and just used it to fast track all the data requests they want. Um, at any rate, in every single case, Roth stood firm and told them no. Just no, we're not changing policies. No, we're not going to give you those two little bits of data. Go get a warrant. Uh, no, we're like, I don't care if they're going around and talking behind our back. Just, yeah, really cool. So up next, a child online privacy protections the child online privacy protections was cut from Congress spending bill despite a last minute push. So this included two separate bills. It was the Children and Teens Online Privacy Protection Act. I guess when they keep redoing these acts, they have to add more words to it. And Kids Online Safety Act. Either way, though, these are both updates to COPPA, which is the very old now um, Children's Protection Act that we use on the internet, and that's what's been around for a long time. So on one hand, this is kind of a disappointment because COPPA is pretty outdated and probably needs to be strengthened. But on the other hand, this is kind of good because there were a lot of concerns about the implications of these efforts. For example, would sites need to start collecting, identifying information, or even KYCing users um, to determine who is and isn't a minor? Like these were genuine asks. These are genuine questions that we were asking we and other people in the privacy community because it was very unclear. And the article also says that lawmakers are already working on a broader legislation that would strengthen protections for all Americans and not just children, which they're hoping to call the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, which is that starting to sound like an actual federal privacy regulation? Question mark. Is that what this is like deviating towards or is that just the name? I'll go ahead and play devil's advocate real quick because we have covered this one before. So the concern with this one is this is the one where um, remember they wanted they wanted everyone else to come down and meet this minimum floor rather than saying like, this is the minimum and you're welcome to go above it. So that was the problem with, with the American data privacy and protection act. So for the record, that's not perfect, but on the plus side, at least everybody would be covered and not just kids. There's a suit that's accusing YouTube of tracking children 
that is now back on after appeal. So previously, this lawsuit was thrown out of court by a judge in San Francisco who ruled that COPPA does not allow individuals to sue for privacy violations. But the plaintiffs appealed to the Ninth Circuit, who unanimously agreed that that's not the case. So the suit is now back on. So the article notes YouTube has been sued before and paid a $170 million FTC fine in New York in 2019 for other COPPA violations as well. So this is unraveling. We will see what happens here. Our next story is about TikTok. Uh, Some universities are now restricting TikTok access on campus. Specifically, they mentioned the University of Oklahoma and Auburn University in Alabama, who will, quote, restrict student and faculty access in order to comply with the bans on government-issued devices. This also applies to the entire University of Georgia system, which is 26 locations, who is also taking similar steps. And we're actually going to talk about Georgia in the next story. This will not only apply to university devices, but also to university Wi-Fi. And unfortunately... Uh, someone correct us if we're wrong, but from what I can tell, you, as a student, you can't just, like, get your own internet. Like, you can't just be like, well, fine, I'm going to buy my own internet subscription. For the record, I'm going to get on a soapbox real quick. I, I'm not saying anyone should use TikTok. It's a garbage platform. I am the last person who will defend it. I've got plenty of complaints with TikTok, ranging from privacy-related to completely unrelated. But I also believe in individual freedom, and I think people should be able to do whatever they want to do, as long as it's not hurting anyone else. Even if it is hurting themselves, that might be a controversial take, but I just – I don't like taking away freedom from anybody because I think it's a slippery slope. Now, right now, if they – because I see so many comments of people just like, they should just ban TikTok for everybody. TikTok should be illegal. Cool. So what happens when they get, they say um, VPNs are harmful for people? We shouldn't let anybody have VPNs. I mean they're already trying to do that with like Signal and, and other end-to-end encrypted platforms. The government is already trying to be like end-to-end encryption is bad. We got to take it away from people. So – yeah, no, I, I don't agree with that. I think it's a slippery slope, and I think people should have the freedom to do whatever they want, whether it's a good idea or not. Yeah, I take issues with these things where we're restricting people on their personal devices. I don't like that at all. But I, like I said, I guess they've got cell data, so there's that. So um, speaking of all of this, if you are a student, just flip that VPN on and enjoy your TikTok access. And Georgia has banned TikTok, WeChat, and Telegram from government devices. They've already banned TikTok from government devices, but they've also now done WeChat and Telegram um, because WeChat is Chinese and Telegram is Russian slash Middle Eastern. This applies to all government agencies plus state colleges and universities. So um, getting pretty intense over there. Georgia is, it's a little dystopian. I can't imagine having Telegram blocked, to be honest. I, I And I hate Telegram. I, I Everyone knows I notoriously hate Telegram. I just can't imagine opening Telegram and it just not loading. That sounds dystopian to me. But. You know what, though? Counterpoint. Number one, it's only government agencies. And I'm, I'm okay with the government. Less state colleges and universities. That's my problem. I'm not talking about uh, the government agencies. I understand uh, that. Okay, but that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where it's like their device. It's, it's official state devices. So like the colleges and universities, the faculty can't have it on their company-issued devices That's or school computers saying. or stuff like that. That's not that's not what that this sound based on how I read that is like even the Wi-Fi and students won't be able to access it. But maybe Well, that's how some are interpreting it. And that's that's what I that's what I was saying earlier is I don't agree with that. I don't think individual like that's how some are choosing to interpret it is like, okay, if we allow this traffic on our network, does that count as having it on our devices? And some some places are choosing to say yes, which I agree with. But I was going to say counterpoint. To be fair, just last week, we were like, why stop? I think it was last week. We were like, why stop at TikTok? Why not 
Facebook and Google and all these other garbage surveillance media platforms. But you're not. So there's a difference when when I, especially I, and I think when we both say why not stop there, we're talking about applying universal rules and regulations that apply to everything, yes. not just. Because the reason they're blaming these platforms is because they're they're international companies and it's just an I mean, American yes. political war and it's ridiculous because it's not actually apply it's not dealing with the root issue which is why I have issue with this I don't think these bans are being done for the right reason if they just stepped forward and said no we're banning TikTok because it's harmful to people because there's too many dark patterns because it disrespects people's privacy and their digital rights then they start saying well it turns out facebook is equally guilty and it turns out wechat's equally guilty and telegram then they're all banned i'm fine with that but that's not what's happening here i agree but i I guess what i'm saying is i think this is a step towards that because yes they are chinese and russian platforms and it is totally political but at the same time it's still a step further than just being like we're caught up in the anti-tiktok fever pitch in my opinion i disagree okay I think I think this step is coming from a totally like this is a totally different step that's not actually anywhere towards universal. Regulation. I mean, you're probably right. It, like it, it, in motive, I think you're right, but in practice, I think it's a step closer. I think it's a step in the wrong direction. I think it's a step towards the U.S. like picking and choosing what to ban, and things like Facebook and Google are going to be allowed to flourish more and more in that environment because they're American companies. As long as they don't ban it for private citizens, that's my big thing. Yeah. But no, I see. I see where you're coming from, and I don't necessarily disagree. But I, I don't know. I I still think it's political something. section. I think it's something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have the next story. <clears throat> okay, the next one's not controversial. Uh, Google is paying Indiana twenty million dollars to resolve a privacy suit. Well, I guess it is controversial because we all know we all know Google can pay more. So once again, this goes back to the allegation that Google continues to track users even when they disable the location history toggle on their Android phones. Uh, Forty states got together to mount a huge lawsuit back in November to the tune of three hundred and ninety-one point five million dollars. But apparently that stalled out. So Indiana just struck out solo and filed a separate lawsuit, which has already been settled. Boy, that was fast. Man, the government really moves when they want to. This is actually twice as much money as Indiana would have received had they stuck with the group suit. So I guess that's a win for them. And as usual, Google did not admit any wrongdoing as part of the settlement. All right, we're working through it. Just a few more stories in politics. Ohio Supreme Court says insurance policy does not cover ransomware attack on software. This was a unanimous vote, which said that direct physical loss or damage must occur in companies' computer software in order to qualify for insurance. This overruled the Ohio 2nd District Court of Appeals, who had originally said the opposite. Quote, similar claims have been settled in the favor of insurance companies, setting a trend of exclusion from the private sector and liability insurance policies for cyber attack incidents. As a result, there is a surge in interest for specialist cyber insurance to cover instances such as ransomware attacks that do not cause direct physical damage. In turn, the cyber insurance sector has taken steps to increase premiums, limit underwriting amounts, and establish its own set of exclusions, most notably cyber attacks associated with war. End quote. All right, our next headline says watching porn now requires age verification in Louisiana because of a new law. It is HB 142, which I did look it up and it has passed. The governor has signed it and everything. And it requires, quote, age verification, unquote, for any website that contains 33.3% or more pornographic material. So basically one third material. Um, Okay, Um, but now I got to wonder. I'm waiting for the lawsuit to come out that they're actually like having to like go through all the data to see if it qualifies for for a third. (laughs) So here's here's the smart ass in me. 
are we going by file size or file number? Because what if I've just got one really big video that takes up like 40% of the server? (laughs) I'm sorry. I just, I live to be difficult. (laughs) Okay. Um, Back to the story. Sites can use the LA Wallet app, which is the state's digital wallet that is capable of storing your driver's license. If they do this, the sites are, according to the spokesperson, the sites cannot see any of your data. All they get is a strict yes or no if you're old enough to access the site. Personal note, I would be okay with that if this app was open source and people could verify that that's actually what it does. But for some reason, we're allowed to use taxpayer money on things that the public is not allowed to audit, so who knows? Personal opinion aside, other forms of verification are available to those who cannot use LA Wallet, although they did not explain what those other forms are. But they did say that it would probably require revealing additional personal information. So it would probably be something like uploading an ID or create, uh, you know, using a credit card number, something like that. The article says that a similar legislation has been introduced at the national level via Senator Mike Lee from Utah, but they did not specify anything about that legislation. And unfortunately, I did not look it up. So I'll probably look into that after this. And our last political story of the week, France has fined Microsoft 60 million euros for imposing ad cookies on users. For deploying ad cookies on users' devices without their explicit consent, they specifically note how Bing makes it easier to accept ad cookies than to reject them. Even if the user didn't reply to the cookie banner, which is supposed to be legally treated the same as rejecting it, Microsoft still placed two ad cookies as the user used the site. No word on if those cookies got removed when the user rejected the cookies. Microsoft has three months to revise their policy and practices, which is pretty generous, or face a $60,000 per day fine. Euro. Not dollar. All right. With that, we'll move into the free and open source news section. And we're starting off with something that I actually think is super cool. Um, I don't use an Apple Watch. I have no desire to. But if I did, I would definitely use this. The beta launch of the Bitwarden app on Apple Watch. So this allows you to view your TOTP codes if you use Bitwarden Premium. So um, some of you guys may or may not know this, but if you pay for Bitwarden Premium, which is like $10 a year, I think, um, then you can store your TOTP codes in Bitwarden which is the the whole uh, six-digit code that refreshes every 30 seconds. Um, you've seen them in things like Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator, Authy. The ones we recommend are Aegis and, and Rivo. Just make sure you're really locking down your account with a strong master password because that's a lot of power you're centralizing in one place. But it's also super convenient. And so, yeah, now, according to this documentation, once you put the app on your, phone, on your watch, you just search for the account. And if there's a TOTP code in there, it'll show up on the screen and it just makes it faster to log in. I, I will recognize there is a risk to putting your codes and your passwords in the same place. But at the same time, for the average person, we have to make privacy and security a little bit convenient for them to use it. I am totally in favor of putting your, your TOTP codes in Bitwarden if you have a strong master password. Because at that point, if, it, if that's what's going to keep you using 2FA on all your accounts, in my opinion, that's a win. And that's reasonably safe. For the record, unless you're like being targeted by the NSA, then obviously you probably shouldn't be putting anything in a fucking digital format. But all right, up next, 3UK, that's one word, is blocking Tutanota. While 3UK says the applied adult filter was standard for any email provider, other services have not been blocked. So this is a mobile carrier in the UK, and Tutanota reached out directly and via Twitter to try and get the issue resolved. Directly, Tutanota was told that individual users need to appeal to 3UK on a person-by-person basis to get unblocked. When they reached out on Twitter, 3UK appeared willing to help at first, but soon stopped replying. Users are reporting that Tutanota is still blocked, so for now, you can use Tor or a VPN to access Tutanota if you have 3K. By the way, that's the second story today where we've had to say, 
use a VPN to bypass some kind of geo restriction block for whatever reason. So again, even if you're not on a VPN train for whatever reason, and you're in the anti-VPN group, which I don't think makes much sense overall. I'm not pro VPN, but I'm not anti VPN. It's just they have useful tool sets that don't do much, but they do a little bit. This is an actual useful thing. With a VPN, you never have to worry about your internet service provider blocking anything or anything like that. We should still be concerned about it, but like this is ridiculous. And if you're using a VPN, you wouldn't have to worry about it. All right, our next story is a really quick one. Linux Mint 21.1, codenamed Vera with the Cinnamon desktop, has arrived. This is the new long-term support, LTS, which will be supported until 2027. Truthfully, most of the changes are cosmetic. I'm going to go ahead and plug someone else's work. Um, The Linux Experiment, which is an awesome channel that you guys should be watching if you're not. He's really funny. He's really good. He did a thorough video about it, I think, earlier this week or last week or something. Um, But it's one of his more recent videos. Just go to his channel and explore the videos. Look back a couple. And uh, he walks you through all the changes, what's new, what's different, what he likes, what he doesn't like. He's got visuals for the whole thing. So... That's probably going to be a lot more beneficial than us just like sitting here talking about it. But yeah, mostly cosmetic changes. So there's that. All right. New release also, Tails 5.8. This includes a reworked improved persistent storage, replacing x.org with Wayland. Woohoo! And a fixed unsafe browser, QR code scanning of Tor bridges, and tons of other small fixes. So that's all very exciting stuff. It's nice that they're using Wayland now. All right, and our last FOSS story is just a quick update for you guys. The 2022 Lifetime Account Charity Fundraiser by Proton raised over $680,000. So um, that was, we talked about it last time. It's over now, unfortunately, if you're just joining us, but they do it every year, so it'll be back next year. So it was over, uh, and Proton actually also matches up to 100K. So they actually raised $784,000, not six hundred. dollars um, This is the most they've ever raised in the, uh, what, like five or so years they've been doing this. And again, 100% of the money is going to the projects listed in the article. So for those of you who donated, good job. Our first misfit of the week for sale on eBay. Oh no, a military database of fingerprints and iris scans. Oh no. So this is a shoebox shaped device, which was designed to capture fingerprints and perform iris scans. It was listed on eBay for, get this, $149.95. And a German security researcher successfully offered $68. So he got a much better deal. And when it arrived at his home in August, the rugged handheld machine contained more than what was promised in the listing. The device's memory card held the names, nationalities, photographs, fingerprints, and iris scans of 2,632 people. It was mostly Afghan and Iraqi nationals, Many were known terrorists or wanted individuals, but others included people who had worked with the U.S. government or simply been stopped at checkpoints. How the data ended up on eBay is unclear. All right, and our last story, which is also kind of a big one, face recognition tech gets Girl Scout mom booted from Rockette's show due to where she works. She's a lawyer. So this happened in December, which is earlier this month as we record. A woman went to go see a Christmas show at Radio City Music Hall, which for those who don't know is a really famous venue in New York City and she went to go see it with her daughter. However, as soon as she walked through the metal detectors, the facial recognition flagged her, and security removed her. And they didn't explain why. They just said, like, hey, our facial recognition flagged you. You can't be here. Please leave. And she basically just sat outside for the whole performance, waited until the show was over because she couldn't go inside with her kid. It turns out the woman is an associate. Uh, For the record, they were there in a group. I don't think she just sent her kid in by herself. But, you know, other people, like, went in. 
She told him to go and enjoy the show, and she just stood outside until it was over. Um, turns out the woman is an associate with a New Jersey-based law firm who is currently involved in a personal injury lawsuit against a restaurant owned by the same company that owns Radio City Music Hall. That's, uh, that's interesting. A lot of people are pointing out, like, this is why we just shouldn't have facial recognition anywhere is because, you know, it can be used to exclude people. You can cut this if you want. I, I think the company makes a really good point. The company is basically, like... You're in an, you're involved in an active lawsuit against one of our companies. Like, we're not going to let you in. That's a conflict of interest. But at the same time, facial recognition, not good. Not a fan. I, I don't know. I truly don't know what to think on this one. I think what's weird about this story to me is it seems to have, like, a very dystopian kind of energy to it. But yeah, in this situation, I think it is justified. But I think, like, you think of this in a, in a different setting of just, like, oh, you don't want people... You're a church. You don't want people who went to a different church to enter your church, and you get a database. Yeah, right. Like that's that's where my mind starts going with this. And so people it's just, are from a different denomination or something, or yeah, yeah. People who went to an abortion clinic can now no longer be welcomed into this church, or things like or that. Or even like, like putting it back in this scenario. Like, what if the lawsuit was over and it didn't go in your way? Like, what you're going to kick her out now because she won the lawsuit? Like. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. So I guess there's a there's a little thought story for everyone there. And this might be the only time I'm excited to hear people's opinions in the comments. <laughs> I'm still not going to read them. <laughs> I was going to say, you can cut that if you want. All right, with that, we'll move into the Q&A section. And we only got two this week. That's okay. Everybody's traveling and stuff, and they're good ones. So the first one comes from Chris. They said, on a personal level, so as in not in the community sense of this, what are some self-hosted applications slash tools you guys recommend for privacy? Personal level, you're probably not going to like this. Pretty much anything you feel comfortable and confident self-hosting. So... Um, I mean, as always, there's threat model and examine the risk. Like, for example, we typically don't recommend self-hosting email because it's really easy to screw it up. And then your emails are either you're not getting them or you're not securing them properly. But I mean, if you know what you're doing and you feel confident, you feel like the risk is low or whatever, then whatever you want. Like some people want to self-host their own password managers. Um, I use Nextcloud mainly for the contacts and the calendars. Oh, and the notes I do use to do lists and stuff like that. Not a lot of file storage, but, um, I use Jellyfin for media streaming. Like it really depends on what you do. Like that's honestly, that's where I would start. Cause I've seen a lot of people ask like, Oh, I've got this computer lying around for the record. I've done this myself. You know, I've got this computer lying around. Like, what should I put on it? Or like, okay, I finished learning how to self host this. What should I self host next? And it's like, just look at your life and be like, what do I use that? I want to self host. Like, yeah. I mean, just look around and be like, what do I use? And what can I self host? Wish I could self host podcast, to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm going to, I guess I, I'll naturally kind of give the other angle of this. And it's like, I personally, as of right now, really don't self-host anything. I like the reliability that's offered to me via people who have, who their sole job is to guarantee reliability um, for things that I'm doing. And so like, that's giving the other side of things too, is um, when you are self-hosting something, you are now claiming complete ownership and complete responsibility over that data which is both the pro and the con of self-hosting things. So for me, as of right now, I don't self-host really anything. I mean, I tinker with things here and there, but like there's nothing I'm reliant on in my digital workflow that requires self-hosting anything. Granted, um, I'm in the process right now of experimenting with like a, a Synology NAS at some point and seeing if maybe I can host all my photos in a central place because I haven't found a great photo storage solution that's centralized and allows me to access things remotely and that ma matches my privacy and security needs outside of something like a NAS. But 
And see, that's yeah. I, I like playing into that though. That's why I self-host is because like there you go. When it comes to privacy options, I haven't found a calendar that I really liked. Proton's close, but they're not there. Um, I haven't found like a cross-platform note-taking app that I like. Uh, again, Standard Notes is close, but it's not really there. Like, I like self-hosting Nextcloud because I like. I like the way it looks, I, in which I know that's t- entirely subjective. I know a lot of people probably think it looks like garbage, which is fair, but I like the way it looks. I like the features it offers. I like the fact that it's cross-platform. And because they've basically given up on uh, end-to-end encryption on NextCloud, I just don't want to trust somebody else with my data. So, But yeah, like I, I, I totally get it, though, for sure. There's some things like, again, like Bitwarden. I don't feel a need to self-host my password manager. It works. It's up whenever I need it. It it looks good. I'm totally okay with letting someone else handle the security. So, I get it. The the next question is from Freddie Mercury. Um, hi Nate and Henry, if he's here, I am here. <laughs> um, I want to ask what kind of video editing software you guys use to edit surveillance report videos, and if there's any recommended FOSS options. Um, so right now we have a DaVinci Resolve workflow, which is like. I love DaVinci Resolve. It's like my favorite NLE I've ever used. Um, and I, I, I came from like Sony Vegas and then um, Adobe Premiere. And then I moved over to Resolve and I just love it. And the free option is fantastic. There's partial, there's like pretty darn decent Linux support um, if your distro is supported by it, which some are, some aren't. And yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, there are some recommended FOSS options. You can look at alternative2.net, like Caden Live. And things like that. But honestly, like, I tried Caden Live and I thought, I- I'm going to say, I'm pretty honest about this. I'm honest with my FOSS options. I think Caden Live is, like, trash compared to DaVinci Resolve. Um, it's just, like, it's a lot buggier. It's less optimized. It's a lot slower. It's um, got a significantly smaller amount of features that are much less powerful. And I don't even think it's fair to compare the two tools, to be honest. <laughs> It's fine for basic things, though. That's the thing. Caden Live, try it first. See if it works for you. If you're just editing videos, super simple, that's fine. If you're doing more complex things, though, I think you're going to max out Caden Live pretty quickly. I've gotten into fights with people on Reddit about that with audio stuff. Is like, I've run into so many people that are like, yeah, Audacity's fine. Like, I don't know why anyone would use anything other than Audacity. <laughs> Audacity and I'm like, Audacity's oh fucking garbage. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. But then, like, but then when I probe them further... And it's like, what are you using it for? And they're like, oh, I just use it to record, like, meetings or something. And it's like, well, yeah, it's going to work great for that. I'm over here mixing, like, 90-track songs. Audacity is not going to be able to edit drums and, like, meaningfully compress drum groups. And, like, no, it's just not going to work. No, but, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Like, I know there are some other options. Uh, I actually haven't tried Caden Live, so I can't attest to any of what you said, but... I, um, it's good. I'm also it's... pretty happy with DaVinci. I like it a lot. I also used to use Vegas back in the day. I like that I can use DaVinci legally for free. On all um, operating systems. It's cross-platform. Yeah, I think it's only on um, uh, Fedora-based distros that there's support for it. Kind... I think. I could be wrong. So it's officially only supported on CentOS and whatever other Red yeah. Hat stuff there is. But um, it does work on Fedora-based distros because Fedora is like sent. Like, they're very yeah, similar. CentOS. But there are, I've seen people use it on Ubuntu. And I've I think also, Pop officially supports it. So any, even Fedora is not officially supported. These aren't official support. But I've seen people use it on Ubuntu. And I've also seen, um, I think it's in the AUR in Arch as well. Oh, okay. So you can just download it directly from the AUR on Arch. So it, that covers huh. most Linux distros. But it's not yeah. guaranteed to work and it's not officially supported. So like, Well, when I, when I say Pop 
when I say pop officially supports it, I mean the other way around. Like pop, I think I could be wrong. Don't put words in my mouth. Oh, me, but I I'm pretty sure like the system 76 people go out of their way to make sure that Da Vinci works on pop. And I think this <clears> actually <throat> poses a different question. And it's something I do want to touch on here really quickly. Um, cause you asked if it's FOSS and I always like to ask people, well, why are you, why, why do you need this to be FOSS? And you should be asking that with everything. Why are you taking a privacy precaution? Why are you taking a security precaution? Because again, just because something is more private and secure doesn't mean necessarily have to do it. It might not change anything for you. Um, and it's the same thing with the FOSS territory in my book. What are you gaining from using an open source NLE? There's no sensitive data going through it, most likely. You're most likely editing public videos on it. You can turn off all internet access on a program-by-program basis. Um, And I've done that with Resolve in the past. You can use, like, local firewalls, like there's Lulu on macOS. There's Safings Portmaster on Linux and Windows. There's other firewall tools that you can use to just straight-up block all internet on that entire piece of software. And you can analyze the traffic behavior if you wanted to to see what kind of domains are contacted. There's just no real privacy and security loss from something like an NLE not being open source. Um, And so at that point, I'm going to ask, well, why do you need it to be open source outside of just supporting the cause and supporting the philosophy, which I think is very valid as well. But all I'm doing here is posing the question, why do you need it to be an open source software? If you respond with, I just believe in the philosophy and I only want to use open source software, that's totally valid. I'm just posing the question. Because I don't I think, think enough fair. people, not enough people pose that question. They're just like, oh, it's not open source. I don't want to use it. And it's like, well, no, like just because it's open source doesn't mean it's more private and secure. doesn't mean it's not more private and secure. We just need to ask, like, what does that mean in the context of the question? Okay. And that is it for this week. So we had the LastPass data breach is much, much worse than they originally led us to believe. Facebook has settled with the Cambridge Analytica data breach uh, thing. They've settled that. Radio City Music Hall is using facial recognition for better or worse. Um, please politely let us know your thoughts on that. I, I do read the comments. I would actually like to know what some of you guys think. Uh, once again, the best ways to support us currently, well, the only ways to support us currently are Patreon and Monero. Patreon, again, that's a recurring contribution using a fiat currency. And in return, you get perks, you get a ad-free segment, you get show notes, you get the ability to ask a question like Chris and Freddie Mercury did. And then the other way to support us is Monero. Again, we don't see anything about you. We just see the contribution amounts, which are greatly, greatly appreciated. TechLore is not going to Monerotopia this year, but I am. So, you know, they only accept Monero there. So that'll be nice to be able to get myself around for a couple days with that. And then just a reminder, um, we don't always post things on youtube as they happen like you know for example it wasn't until after we filmed last week that i was like oh crap next week is christmas hey are we filming and uh so the best way to keep up to date with us is mastodon and twitter i don't think either of us check twitter anymore but i definitely try at least try to check mastodon every couple of days i'm trying to get better about it um so yeah that's a good way to connect with us in between weeks if you're curious where the episode is or anything like that. And we'll let you know if it's running late. So, Ooh, or, 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 sorry, I'm going to interrupt. You don't even need Mastodon or Twitter, even though you can follow both of which with an RSS feed. I was about to say RSS? No, but actually our website, surveillancesupport.tech, that's actually where I post updates. I post it directly on our website. You can see updates on our website and those get posted to our Mastodon, which then get posted to Twitter. So actually, I don't even check Mastodon when I post things. So you can actually just directly check our website and there's like a little status log there. If you're ever curious. And on that, thank you for listening to Surveillance Report. The final thing we're going to ask of you, as always, share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform where that's an option. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible, and you can help with that. So thank you again for listening, and uh, we're excited to see you guys in 2023.